Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Are you getting multiple calls from Medicare signups every day? I'm getting a literally 10 15 calls a day really? from different numbers different area codes and it's same guy hello how are you and it's the same and it, he starts off and then it tra- and and the problem is i have to answer the phone because miro my office manager is out right for the week and so the phone fo- phones are forwarded to me so i don't know if it's a a, a potential call. so for this week i've got to answer the phone even if i don't recognize the caller id so now i'm getting 10 to 15 Medicare calls a day is, and, and I'm a 10 year man. I'm, I'm a little ways out from that. Yeah. How do I get off this list? If anybody knows how to get off this list, please help me. I don't know if there's it's, any real it's, secrets. I mean, I'm it. about to go postal. Right. Anyway, crypto, anyone are advisors advising crypto. Bueller, advising Bueller. Crypto? There's a, there's a new poll out that polled advisors, not individuals. And it's actually a very interesting poll uh, that's talking about advisors. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of crypto, there's a, on the new on the new 1040 on this 2023 tax form, folks, mm-hmm. and maybe even 2022 for last year. On the on the 1040, there is a new question that must be answered. Oh. Yes or no. About crypto, and they've broadened it now. It's not it's not virtual currency anymore. That's what they did call it. Now they're calling it digital assets. Ah, okay, and they're going to track you, and they're going to follow you, and you better uh, pony up and let them know. And we'll right. get to that. And again, and speaking of polls, there's a new poll out by Finra, okay. the, the regulatory body, and it's an investor quiz, and it's trying to figure out how much how much people know about investing now. If you're a stock nerd and you follow this show, or especially if you're a client of Revere, uh, you should get close to 100% on this. Mm. If not, if you don't get 100% you're listening to this, you need to call me. We need to talk, okay? Because, uh, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. If you don't <laughs> understand that, these young guys won't even know what that uh, is, um, what I'm referencing, yeah. okay? And then we're going to go uh, to the mailbag. We got lots of... We got a couple mailbag, two sectors. One of the obesity drugs in uh, pharma. And the other one is AI. Okay. All right. Now. Red letter show. Uh, and, and by the way, one of those listeners, we'll call him V, um, actually, in addition to the sending in a mailbag, he said, could you actually do some planning for some self, you know, for self-employed individuals? Folks, listen, 
when they did those Trump tax cuts, they actually, everybody was talking about how it was a tax cut for the rich. That's nonsense. It actually, they took, so they lowered the tax rate, but they took away all the itemized, most of the itemized deductions. So that even though you paid a lower rate, a lot of people paid more in tax, mm. the absolute dollar. But in any event, so it's, it's harder if you're self-employed to find some planning. And so I'll talk about that next week. I'm going to talk about that. But really, the main one, the only things that are left for itemized deductions are, 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 are the, the up to $10,000 interest expense and charitable contributions up to 7.5% of your AGI. And so most of the stuff are taken away. But if you have your own business, you're self-employed, you really can open up some very cool retirement plans, depending on how much you can sock away. Folks, listen, if you're making a lot of money and you don't have hardly any employees, there's ways you can sock away way more than the 401k limits. You can put away two, $300,000 if the numbers work at tax deductible to your business. Mm. So that's really, so the, the, the retirement plans are really the, the benefit for self-employed individuals, but you really need to call me on that because those are very specialized and it really depends on your demographics of your work. If you have employees, their ages, how long they've been working there, the, the census, they call it the census, that really will make it. But, but you can put anywhere from 22, 5, 30,000, 40,000. The maximum for a 401k this year, if you do a 401k with matching or profit sharing, is, is $70,000. Wow. People don't know that. Yeah. Company with the company match. The employee deferrals is 22.5 this year, 22,500. And if you're over 50, like Don and I, but man, we're good looking for over 50, both of us. You can put up to 30. Especially me. <laughs> you, can, you can pick up $30,000. You can have catch up. So if you're, if you're doing that, you can put up to $30,000. That's much better than an IRA. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll revisit that a little bit. Um, and again, you really, those are, those are customized. You really got to look at that. But um, so let's get right down to it. So crypto, anyone? So they did a poll right okay. here. Yeah. A poll. And who did? Let's see. Um, um, and they ask advisors, are you recommending crypto? Right. Or digital assets? 86% no. So where is all the crypto demand come, must be coming from these individual investors? Yeah. 10 percent said yes if greater regulatory oversight was enacted okay right now it's the wild west there is right and it's actually like the physical gold and silver market man there's there's hardly any regulations there either you got to be real careful if you're trying to buy physical gold and silver yeah you got to be careful you got to find a reputable um wholesaler or dealer anyway five percent yes a small but a small percentage of the portfolio and yes was a big fat zero. So nobody in the regular advising space is really recommending crypto. Now, it is true that you might have, um, and these are regular for retail, mom, this aren't hedge funds and things of that nature. But the whole point is, if these advisors aren't recommending crypto and you're not getting traction at the institutional level, it's hard for me to see how that really uh, gets, gets um, get some legs. Now, this is the new IRS alert that I was talking about on the tax forms. You actually on this 10, 1040 for the individual return, uh, the 1040 C SR uh, for seniors and then non-residents uh, is NR the 1040. 
and it said they must answer this question whether they you engaged in digital assets or not. So if you had crypto, you had those NFTs, you know, those tokens, anything that's digital or in the cyberspace, they want to know about. So if you bought any uh, virtual land in Facebook, which I still don't get. Farmville? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I bought a farm in cyberspace. That's right. Oh, really? Did you did you buy some, did you grow some cyber carrots? Yeah, some virtual How corn. were they? Did you eat them? <laughs> I want to know how nutritious they are. And is that keto or what? Zero anyway. calories. Anyway, so you, here's the bottom line. You got to check the box le- yes if you received any digital assets as payments, transferred any digital assets for free without receiving consideration because we want to track it, received digital assets as a reward. So a lot of these crypto places are actually trading cryptocurrency for services, like for IT or support or whatever, because they're, they're, they're kind of light on cash flow. So they'll give you a thing with a promise if this takes off, you could be rich. Whole point is they are now really wanting to follow this crypto very closely. And remember, I said this years ago, when and if it becomes real popular, they will regulate, track, and control, right? Mm-hmm. Or they will simply shut it down and roll out their U.S. digital dollar, yeah. U.S. digital. So in any way, it's, it's coming. You just, you just got to wait. All right. Now, speaking of polls, how would investors do on this FINRA poll? So stock nerds, pay attention. We're going to take a poll, and I want you to write it. I want you to let me know. If any of you don't get 100, I want you to email me and do a mea culpa, and we're going to have a little chat over a cup of coffee, a, a digital coffee. It's Sounds a digital, a little... it's a digital coffee. That's right. Okay. All right. Uh, one, question one. If you buy company stock, you, A, own part of the company, B, lent money to the company, C, are liable for the company debts, and D, company returns 6% to you plus the original investment, and then E, don't know. Luckily for this question, only 6% said they didn't know. 73% got it right and said you own part of the company. So that's right. pretty good. I yeah. wish it was higher, but that's pretty good. Sure. This one I have a little problem with. In general, investments that are riskier, Don, listen, because I'm going to ask you here. In general, investments that are riskier tend to provide higher returns over time with less risk. True, false, or don't know? <laughs> That's kind of a weird question. I mean, I don't it's know how you quantify question. that. You can't. Okay. No, they, I mean, they, they've, only an idiot would get that question wrong. So, well, it's, no, it, the, a riskier the, asset does not provide less risk. Okay, and here's what they're, the correct answer is true, 73%. Okay. I disagree with that question. Yeah. Because it says, in general, investments are, that are riskier tend to provide higher returns over time with less risk. What they're saying, because I thought about this for 10 minutes, Don, I was scratching my head in my office, what they're saying. So yes, small caps are going to scare the bejeebers out of you better than bonds, but over a 20-year period, if you're able to write it out, you'll make higher returns. And I still don't see how they get the less risky, but I guess they're saying if you've got enough time to write it out, you'll get recouped on that. Yeah. So anyway, I want to call Finra and ask well, the them. The less risky was, was, the, was why they want to 
throw you off because you can't call that's like they called something that's like calling something hot and then saying it's not hot exactly you, no it's no it I, said risky and they said less risk over time though over time to, <laughs> i get it i get How it could 73 percent of people get that wrong oh no no they're okay. saying the right. right that's they're saying that's the right answer though that's they're saying that is the finra is saying that's the right answer i want to call finra and ask what? them how they uh, yeah that's what they I'm are saying. saying that True is the right answer. True is the right answer. It says it's yeah. If it has an asterisk next to it, that means that's the right answer. Seventy true. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. We got to call Finra. We're going to get him on the bat phone later, and I want to understand that. But I think what they're trying to say is over the long term, you're going to make a lot more money, and you'll be bailed out by time and all this stuff. But again, it depends on when you retire. I I don't even know how you justify that answer. Anyway. That's just what? not true. There's not less risk. Inherent, I get it. Inherently, all right, whatever. So, so stock nerds, by the way, number two we're throwing out as a bad question. So if you got that wrong, you're in good company with us because we don't agree. We think the right answer is false. Now, question three. If you buy a company bond, you, A, own part of the company. Oh, oh own part of the company. B, lent money to the company. C, you're liable for the company's debts, and D, don't know. Well, if you're a bondholder. Hold, hold, hold on. Wait, wait Dan? Yes? Dan, can, we, can, we, can we just go back to the last question? Because I think it's in, in, the way, in the way that it was phrased. Um, I, I, think, I think that the way that question is supposed to be written is, is do riskier assets over time provide more gains than assets that have less risk. They didn't say so, gains, though. They said risk. That's the problem. Uh-huh. I get that. They provide more returns over, and they're talking about a risk-adjusted return. I get all that. I still just disagree. I get what they're trying to say. I, I disagree with it. No, but, 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 they're, but they're, they're, not saying, they're not saying that by investing in the riskier thing, you're taking on less risk. It's saying in comparison to something with less risk, over time, will you get more returns in something riskier? No, it says, like it, it, it says that verbatim, it says investments that are riskier tend to provide higher returns over time with less risk. That's what they're saying. They're saying they're less risky with less over risk. the long term. Okay. Now, here's my problem. If you invested in stocks in 1929 or 1930, you were dead before you got back even. They're assuming the market always comes back in a timely fashion. And that historically has not been the case. Mm. Anyway, no, I get what you're saying, Michael. Anyway, all right. So this question three, lent money to the company, 62%. B is the right answer. That's pretty easy. It's starting to get a little bit tougher. Over the last 20 years in the U.S., best average returns have been generated by A, stocks, B, bonds, C, CDs, D, money market. Well, that's obviously wrong. E, precious metals. D, don't know. And F, real estate wasn't at. I don't know why they didn't include real estate. The number one answer and the correct answer was stocks 55%. Question five, if a company files for bankruptcy, which securities are most at risk at becoming worthless? A, preferred stocks. B, common stocks. C, bonds. D, don't know. Um, the correct answer is common stock. Your common shareholders are wiped out. Only 48% got that right. That's pretty scary. Huh. If you're bondholders, you're in line with the creditors. Okay. Here's the sad part. 26% didn't know the answer to that. Our schools are failing us. Our universities 
are failing us. I don't care if you're majoring in sociology. You should have to have a business 101 class yeah. and get to, anyway. Question six. Past performance is a good indicator of future returns. A, true, 44%. B, false, 44%. C, don't know, 11%. The answer is false, 44%. Again, scary that that's so low. Which best explains why muni bonds pay lower yields? A, muni bonds. That that last question question completely contradicts what they were saying in... um... It, bankruptcy that question that we were arguing about no the question that we were arguing about past past return so if you if you'd say that the, the reason why they said oh that yes yes the yes. answer is true on the first one is because the riskier stock market outperforms so if if you're thinking about the stock market in relative to that last question then yeah long term the stock market goes higher so you oh, can't abs- have one of those right and have the other one wrong yes those are mutual i would agree those would seem like they're mutually exclusive uh, that's a good point i'm gonna have to think about it. that's a great point okay which best explains why muni bonds pay lower yields muni bonds are lower risk b muni bonds are can can be tax-free c greater demand d don't know 30 percent don't know muni bonds can be tax-free that's why you always got to calculate the tax equivalent yield Can you make more paying with a higher bond, a corporate bond? If so, after you pay the tax on that bond, is it a higher yield than a muni? That's why you always got to make that comparison. Okay. Um, What is the main advantage index funds have when compared to actively managed funds? A, generally less risky in the short term. B, generally lower fees. And C, likely decline less likely to decline in value and D don't know the correct answer is B generally lower fees. So they index funds are generally have lower fee structure than actively managed funds. But as Don always said, it's a cheap, cheap, cheap way to lose money fast. Mm. So in a down market Vanguard cheap funds are just as bad as a Merrill Lynch expensive fund. They're both going to go down in a good market. I want the Vanguard cheap fund than the expensive Merrill Lynch fund. Okay. So again, it's more about when to be in and when to be out than what to be in. Question nine, what is the best definition of short selling? A, selling shares shortly after buying. B, selling shares before they reached its peak, meaning selling too early. You didn't get the top. Nobody does. And C, selling shares at a loss. Or D, Selling borrowed shares of stock and E don't know. The correct answer is selling borrowed shares that you don't own. You, you, can, you always want to buy low and sell high, but you don't have to do it in that order. You can do it in reverse order. You can borrow shares and sell it. And when the price comes down, buy and unwind and cover the trade. All right. Number 10. You invest $500 to buy $1,000 of stock on margin. The value of the stock drops 508%. How much of your original investment are you left with in the end? A, 500. B, 250. C, zero. D, don't know. C, zero is the correct answer. Only 23% got that right. 19% thought, yes. Speak that, say that question again. You invest $500 Mm -hmm. 
to buy $1,000 of stock. That means you can, you can borrow up to 50% on margin if the stock is marginable. Right. So you can take a, a, a $500. Actually, they let you do double in margin. That the, 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 they wouldn't, the brokers wouldn't let you do that. But anyway, so they're saying that you, you doubled up. You're on margin. So you're 100% in margin, right? Which they don't allow. They allow you 50% for stocks. But anyway, 100% on margin. So it drops 508%. You're getting margin calls. Uh, some, something cannot drop 508%. You can't lose more than 100%. I think you need to call FINRA. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Christ. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Here, here's, the, here's the funny thing. 19% of the people thought that you still have $500. Really? If you dropped a lot of money, if you only, anyway. All right. In addition to the 10-question quiz, there's a bonus question, and it's about a call option. If you own a call option with a strike at 50 on a security that is priced at 40 and the option is expiring today, which is the closest value of the option? Okay. Ted, Connor, and Michael, you should all know the answer to this. <laughs> okay. Now, it says only 13% respondents answered the call option correctly. Zero. It is worthless. 47% did not know. And interesting, interestingly enough, 62% of investors who have traded options answered incorrectly. And it said compared to 39% of all investors. So investors that didn't trade options actually did better than the ones that did trade options. But it was illustrating a maximum that a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. Here's the takeaway. So it said it was looking at the generational differences of these investors. And it said this survey found that 21, a survey found that 21% of participants that had been, had been of the survey, 21% had only been investing for two years or less. Okay. And then about uh, nearly as many, almost 21% had been doing for, for eight years. They found that younger investors are more likely to engage in riskier investment behavior. But according to that number three question, if you hold it long enough, it's actually less risky. <laughs> but I digress. Okay. 63% uh, reported trading options compared to only 21%. Oh, hang on. Sorry, I got lost. Okay. So the younger investors are more likely to uh, engage in riskier behavior. 36% reported trading options. This is of the younger group. Compared with 21%, 35 to 54, and only 8% over 55. So that means 8% of 55-year-olds are trading options. Of the middle-aged people, only 21%. But you got a whole lot of younger people that aren't that experienced that are trading options. Now, the percentage who said they were considering cryptocurrencies increased to 33% uh, from 18 in 2018. And 27% had already invested. These are primarily younger investors. Uh, the survey found that online trading through a website is the most common uh, method for tr placing trades, followed by a mobile app and contacting a financial professional. Younger investors were much more likely to use a mobile app. I just can't use a mobile app. I'm worried I'm going to do a fat finger trade. It's so small. I can't, I just, seriously, <laughs> trying to buy a hundred shares and hit a thousand. Whoops. We were just talking about okay. last week, accidentally hitting the wrong button on okay. certain Okay. Now here's, yeah. I love this. 96% of investors in the survey, their main motivation was to make money over the long term. 
At the same time, 72% also said they wanted to make money in the short term. And 65% wanted to learn about investing. You know what? I want to make money in the short term and the long term. Sure. I mean, I'm 100%. I, I, I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to me. But I will tell you, it doesn't always happen. But that should always be the goal. Anyway, this was kind of a, just an interesting um, survey. I just thought it was weird. I thought the questions were kind of skewed and different. And I just didn't think. And it just shows you that people really... Uh, need to get a little bit more uh, educated when it comes to investing. Speaking of that, if you just go to revereasset.com and you go up to the the, the top right mm -hmm. and hit subscribe, you get our daily market insight video where we do a 10-minute short video every evening the market's open. And we do a deep dive in the market, the technicals, the fundamentals, what we're actually doing. And I promise you, if you watch that for two times a week for three months, you will know as much or more about what's happening in the markets than the guy at Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. I, I'm just telling you. And hey, uh, the uh, full polls in the description. Uh, I was going to say, it's the first link in the notes. So just scroll down from where you're watching the show. And there you go. You can take it yourself. All right. Yeah, the quiz, you mean? Oh, yeah. That's all in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Now, um, um, so now what I want to do is I want to go over the mailbag. Okay. And I want to review the question. Uh, that we had, um, um, we're going to let uh, Ted go first because he has to go uh, catch the the class. Ted, you're going to do the obesity drugs, right? Yeah. Okay. So let me just reread this question so that we so that people know what this is. This was a previous mailbag question from a week ago, and we wanted to research it. Yeah, yeah. It says, "Dear Team Revere, mailbag." If you need a week to research, that's fine. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Uh, if, if, you believe that we are in the, if you believe that we are in the second inning of drug therapy for obesity and it's going to be uh, a mega market for big pharma, how would you invest? It's just the big three. Is it just the big three? Or are there smaller companies that would profit? Hope to hear from Ted or Michael on the podcast, Dr. Mark. All right, Teddy Bear, let's hear it. Okay. So first, I'll just give an overview of like obesity in the United States and the world. And so obesity is a worldwide epidemic and it's impacting our lives significantly. Um, a lot of heart disease, strokes, diabetes are a result of obesity. And so the classical definition of obesity is a BMI over 30. Um, so here are just some statistics of obesity in the world. So more than 1 billion people worldwide are obese. Um, in that there's 650 million adults. 340 million adolescents, and 39 million children. Um, in the United States, there are 537, oh no, 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 537 million adults are living with obesity. Um, and then the U.S. numbers, 69% of people in the U.S. are overweight or obese, and 34.2 million or 10.5% of the U.S. population have diabetes. And so, like, as you can see from these numbers, the total addressable market is pretty much the sky, in the sky. So that's the good news. Um, you got a lot of patients that could receive this therapeutic. But the bad news is for Dr. Siegel about your um, inquiry about finding a smaller company. Uh, it's a duopoly between Eli Lilly, ticker LLY, and, and, and ticker NVO. And so these two titans essentially own all the patents. They have their tentacles in almost all the fields of obesity. Um, they've bought out all the com like the smaller companies that we would have invested in. And so. Unfortunately, we 
it's like essentially impossible to find a smaller company to invest in, but LLY and MBO are the two options. And so I talked to Alex, who was a former work at Revere and is currently a consultant. And his sister is big in the pharma space. And she also confirmed that there are no companies that no companies besides Eli Lilly and NBO have access to these obesity drug patents. So they basically own everything. And so the two treatments I want to first talk about um, is called Ozempic and Wigovi, and that is owned by Ticker NVO or Novo. And so NVO is an international company from Denmark, and that's probably why there's less institutions that own it. Um, so yeah, it's just due to like regulatory reasons, probably. Uh, the market cap is 313 billion, so it's already super big. And so in my opinion, like the upside is very much limited with regards to investing. It's a slower moving company. It's already a stalwart. Um, and when, if you invest in that company just for BC drugs, you're essentially also investing in all its other um, therapeutics and drug categories in its pipeline. So it's, it's, it's impossible to just single out like it's obesity drug and only invest in that. Um, they also report earnings in five days. And then back in November, um, the, the stock hit a three month high after it raised its full year earnings outlook. Um, after reporting better than expected profits on sales of its diabetes and obesity treatment, Ozempic, um, its operating profit growth was 13 to 16% up from 11 to 15%. And they're also positive that they're going to make all doses of the weight loss drug, Wigovi. And so now I'm going to talk about the drug and some facts about it. Some of them are injectable, kind of like an EpiPen. Um, Ozempic is normally used to treat type 2 diabetes and Wigovi is normally used to treat weight loss. But it's been found that Ozempic also has, has um, good results in weight loss. And back to Alex, his, he told me that his dad actually was on Ozempic for a little bit and he did lose weight. Uh, most patients lose 5, 5 to 15% of their body weight. And the problem is it's only as long as they stay on the drug uh, because the, mate, the weight might come back later. <laughs> and then there are some side effects such as like increase in the risk of thyroid cancer and suicide behavior. But these are definitely rare side effects. Um, Ozempic and Wagovi are classified under a type of drugs called GLP-1 analogs. And so what GLP is, it stands for glucagon-like peptide 1. And so essentially these drugs mimic um, like a hormone in our body. And it triggers the release of insulin as blood sugars rise after ingestion. So what insulin does is it's released by the body after our blood sugar like, rises. And then it serves to decrease that blood sugar by like storing glucose that we injected um, into like glucagon or other um, other molecules. And so what GLP-1 analogs do is that they enhance glucose-dependent insulin secretion. So what this is is it stimulates insulin secretion only as glucose levels are elevated. So that minimizes hypoglycemia. It also delays gastric emptying, and this this is part of like how people lose weight because it induces a sense of fullness um, in that patient because um, like their stomach kind of empties in a slower way, if that makes sense. And so then they, they, um, they ingest less food and then that turns into less weight. And then finally, it also has some central nervous system effects by improving satiety. And so that's just another part of the drug that makes people eat less and feel fuller. Um, so MVO's competitor, Main competitor, or actually probably only competitor, is Eli Lilly, who has their own drug called Monjaro, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. 
and it did win at U.S. approval for type 2 diabetes in May 2022 and is under a fast track review as a potential weight loss drug now. Um, so in conclusion for, for this section, um, LLY and MVO are the two ways to go. Um, there's a huge opportunity in market for obesity drugs, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be an, an upside in the stocks of the companies that own these drugs. And so at the end of the day, we always talk about it. We want to see our equity curves go up. Even though the story and the opportunity is massive, the two companies are titans, and um, it's it's definitely tougher to, to capture a large return. Oh well, I appreciate that, Ted. Now, so I guess that powder that you saw on Shark Tank, where they had it on Shark Tank, and it's just a little powder that you stir in the drink and you drink it, and then you see the the girl that's three hundred pounds, she just shrinks away to nothing. In, in about three months, I guess that doesn't work. I've not seen that. I, I almost ordered. And, and, and you know what's uh, funny? I actually have lost 25 pounds, right? I have. <laughs> Congrats. And, and, and you know how I did it? <laughs> I actually stopped eating so much. I ate slower. And I started exercising a little bit. Who knew? Self-control. Who knew huh? my grandparents were right? You know? <laughs> True. Thanks, Grandpa Everett. Yeah. Anyway, he he would always eat slow. We we would always clean off the dishes and leave the table, sure. and he literally would mm -hmm. sit there by himself yeah. and finish eating for another ten minutes. He was thin as a rail. Wow. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, I, and about and about eating slow, um, but like why eating slow is known to be healthy is because um, it takes time for our body to release insulin and other hormones that kind of tell our brain that we've had enough food. We're full, and yeah. so in America, we tend to eat super fast and we end up ingesting more than we should. Nope. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Teddy Bear. Go study hard and ace that. Are you doing a test today or is it just class? No. Okay. Second, no, third day of school. Okay. All right, man. <laughs> All well, right. good, good yes. luck. Yep. All right. Now the second mailbag, and this is going to be very interesting because these actually will have some other names, I believe. Team Revere. God, I love it when these people watch. Team attention. Revere. And Team yeah, Revere, yeah. baby. Hey. Team Revere. What stocks stand to benefit from chat GPT investments? What uh, stocks will benefit from increased investment in AI? Thanks, V. And then this is Don's response. Hi, V. The two, the big two are NVIDIA and Microsoft. Microsoft invested $10 billion in open AI and lauded the potential for their Azure cloud infrastructure to support AI apps. However, they reduced guidance for AI growth in their conference call last night. This is a few days ago, obviously. Call last night, so that's not quite ready for prime time. NVIDIA is in the driver's seat uh, for being the brains behind AI apps. We're also watching C3.AI, ticker is AI. It's very possible the eventual big winner hasn't been identified yet, but we always have our finger on the pulse of potential tech leaders. They can't hide. Price volume will make them readily apparent. Don. Don, thanks for the quick Don, thanks for the quick reply. Two other stocks like AI that's coming off the bottom are PL these are tickers. PLTR and PATH Path. I will be interested to see if they live up to their potential. V. All right. 
And so we've got Michael did a little bit of research. And by the way, Michael is post. We've actually on our what do you call that where all the articles are posted? Uh, Zach? Show description. Show description. Show, yeah, show description. Yeah, yeah. On the show, I was having a senior moment. I think losing weight caused my uh, brain got- to, to slow down. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling weak. Maybe that's the weight that you're losing. That's right. You're lo- losing calories. Wow. In head. Wow. Cut Don off. Just black him out. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, God, I lost my train of thought now. Um, um, See, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> So what what I was going to say was hell I don't even remember now I right. but uh, the the articles are posted uh, Michael actually posted some articles and and some of it's there's some technical articles in there if you're interested yeah anyway all right Michael take it away all right all right so um, so yeah AI AI is interesting because it's um, I mean it's it's basically there's not a specific use for AI. It's more just AI in general and machine learning is going to um, basically change the way that that business is conducted and how we use data. And um, there's, there's not necessarily one player in that space. Every company, if you look at their um, investor presentations and just their websites and what they talk about, every company is involved. They say in AI, they're using AI to, to do this and that for you and um, software companies, um, a- a- any company, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, all of them are working on AI in, in some respect. And um, basically the way I kind of think about it is um, like the focus, I think of this question, companies like like um, C3 AI and Palantir and, um, and the ones that were mentioned in the email, are more that that's sort of um, enterprise AI, and what they do is they um, basically enterprise AI is is one segment of AI. That's how do businesses leverage their data to make better decisions, and instead of having people sort through a million pieces of data, which would take them a long time and they can't do as effectively as a computer or a machine, how do we get this machine to run through all of that and assess it from a sort of human perspective? And give us the best insights and how do we leverage our data and that's sort of the the um that that ai is trying to solve um and in that space i mean there there's a lot of competitors two of the ones we named um c3 ai palantir um, but you've also got ibm um ibm's been around for a long time um over over a decade now they've got this um this platform called watson and um what watson does is basically what we're talking about it thinks of problems from the human perspective and tries to solve them. Uh, basically, when humans solve problems, there's sort of three steps we take, which is um, observation, evaluation, and decision making. And that's what they now say that they've trained their their machines to do. And um, it can just basically assess and and break down this data a lot better, more effectively, and more efficiently than than a human can. So. Um, Within that space, there, there's just so many different players. So, um, in terms of there being a specific leader or a company that'll be the most useful, I mean, you've got companies trying to now um, differentiate themselves and have a, a, a specific product, something like UiPath um, ticker PATH. What they do is they um, they have AI that that creates software. So instead of um, instead of having people generate um like do, doing these small tasks and and making um 
changes to software, they have robots that are doing that. But um, I mean, the company um, hasn't really been profitable and uh, the stock's not responding well. So um, don't really have an opinion on that. It could work, it may not. But um, I think somewhere that's a little more clear and, and um, a f fewer competitors in the space that, that I think um, you, can be a viable investment um, at this point is is the data warehousing and um, storage, the cloud storage. So two players in that space, um, one of them is Snowflake, S-N-O-W, and that was a really hot IPO. The stock hasn't performed well, but in terms of their revenue share and market share, um, they, they've been growing a lot. So that that could be a good opportunity. I I think that that could be one of the places you, you you could look in the future. And then another one that I really like is um, PSTG, Pure Storage. And what Pure Storage does is they've partnered with um, Snowflake. So what Snowflake does is that they, they warehouse data on the cloud. And then Pure Storage has the actual flash drives that you have in-house um, in, your, in your business that connects and they've partnered with Snowflake. So Basically, if, if a company has certain security protocol they have to follow and don't want all their, their data just on the cloud, they can actually have it in-house and use it in their own um, in their own system. And Pure Storage has complete access to the cloud and digital flash drive storage. So you can have your your all your data um, privately on your own network in your in your um, on site. So those are those are two ways, and and Pure Storage also um, partnered with Nvidia, and Nvidia makes the uh, the semiconductor chips um, for all of that storage, and then they've also partnered with Meta because Meta Meta is is a uh, like a kind of sleeping giant in this space. They're I would say the leader in in artificial intelligence. They have this huge lab, and with all their apps, Instagram, WhatsApp, the Facebook platform. They've got so much access to data that they're that they're now um, using to to do whatever they want with. And um, Pure Storage has a big partnership with Meta. They're they're helping them build out all of their their data warehousing. So I I, I personally believe for AI the um, the best space um, is is the um, is what's the backbone of AI, and that's all the data warehousing and storage. So. That's that's where I'm looking because all of this software and using AI, I mean, it, it's just there, there's not as much of a, a mode around that. Any company can can use their own AI and their own software. So we'll see how that works. But um, but yeah, the, the, those are kind of my thoughts on it. No, it's important for a business to have a moat or barriers to entry. And so if you don't have any barriers to entry, like any copycat can 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 get in there. So I like the fact that Mike's looking for barriers to entry and look if you're doing the cloud storage up in the cloud or doing i mean you've got to have some pretty big uh, uh tentacles and some some power some financial backing to pull that off you can't just open that up uh without a lot of capital so uh all right so that, that, yeah that's more than that's the picks and shovels approach right. the the data and the provider yeah. of uh the storage more than the the companies themselves what we'll be looking for is when companies that are involved in this report uh, an earnings that just blows Wall Street expectations away and they gap up on big volume, uh, that'll be the giveaway that Wall Street was offsides on this, their AI, whatever process they're implementing or whatever service they're providing, 
has been much more popular than Wall Street thought. And uh, those are the, the types of indications that we look for. It's very possible that Meta, which has been beaten down on their last couple of earnings reports, uh, says we've gotten a huge uh, influx of capital or from sales from our AI specific this, that, or the other, or their um, metaverse. And you'll, they can have, they can reinvent themselves kind of the way they did when they gapped up uh, 10 years ago when they first solved the digital advertising dilemma. So those are the type of inflection points that we look for from an investing standpoint. Yeah. So, so even though the idea, the end, the new and can slim, the end is there, you got to have to, you must get confirmation. That really helps you to, 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 to get to, to skew the odds in your favor that you did pick the right one, the winner, the one that's going to, that's going to be winner in that space. All right. Thanks, Michael. Um, and then we have Connor. Connor, what what are you what are you bringing up? You're talking about a couple stocks, right? <clears throat> yeah, um, I got three recent IPOs that have good story that I wanted to go in depth in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the first one is B R O S. This is Dutch Bros. They operate drive-through coffee shops in about twelve states. Uh, this company IPO'd on September 15th, 2021, um, and looking at it from a price perspective, it's forming a really strong stage one base. It's held this 30 level uh, multiple times. So a common thing with these IPOs is usually there'll be a lot of excitement right when it goes public, and then that usually fades and, you know, the stock needs some time to digest and base, and that can offer the, the best low risk entries. Um, another thing you always need to be aware of is that, you know, there's lockup periods, um, people that were in the IPO early, they might be sellers when it's going up and whatnot. So there may be a good story, but you also always want price to match up. But just a little bit about them, they have a lot plans to expand into 4,000 locations throughout the United States. They currently have 538 right now across 12 states. Um, and when you look at them compared to other peers, they have favorable high growth uh, to names such as, you know, Starbucks, Chipotle, Shake Shack. Um, for 2023, they're looking at a revenue outlook of 950 million to 1 billion. And that would be a 30% jump over their top line 2022 estimates. And then a re another one is MBLY. This is Mobileye. They are a Israel-based company that develops autonomous driving uh, solutions and advanced driving systems. Now this one really caught my attention because uh, the technology is pretty cool. Um, so basically what they're doing is they're supplying camera-based technology that's used for advanced driving uh, assistance systems. And a lot of car companies and are taking advantage of this technology. Um, in 2023, they are predicted to capture 69% of market share and have their technology um, administered in 42% of vehicles made. And recently they just reported earnings yesterday and their results were pretty good. They, uh, they had an EPS beat, uh, they beat on sales with uh, 565 million and they increased their revenue 59% year over year. 
So like I said, with pros, these IPOs can be, you know, tough to trade. And I think it's best to let it digest a little bit. But if the, uh, the story's there um, and the price action's looking good, then definitely take a stab at it. And then the next one is ONON. This is uh, OnCloud. It's a Switzerland-based company that operates 8,700 retail stores worldwide and they offer shoes and apparel. Um, actually, Roger Federer is a big backing of this company. Um, and recently they just reported positive earnings and revenue growth the past three quarters. Um, earnings jumped 16% and uh, sales were leaping to 44% to 296 million. Um, I like this one. It's I actually have the shoes myself and you know, if you look around, I see them all over the gym, my college campus. So definitely interesting when in, in your day-to-day -day life, when you see something popping up out of nowhere. Um, and when looking at price, it, it's clear in the 200 day, the relative strength line's increasing. So similar to bros, it, it's, it's carving out a nice stage one base. So something that I'm keeping an eye on and all three, I like the story. So going to keep up with them and see if price can match the story. What is the name of their stores? Do they, do they stock in other um, stores or are they their client-specific stores, their company-specific stores? Oh, they have both. Like, they have company-specific okay. stores, and then they're in, you know, a lot of just, like, running shoe stores. Retailers, like yeah. Retail, yeah. Yeah. Well, I could I could pull that all nicely together with a bow. Right. Roger Federer, who's one of the greatest players ever, right? Dennis Champ. He actually when 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 Michael was talking about IBM and Watson, Watson actually has been around for 20 plus years. They were early early early, right? They actually started doing the AI at Wimbledon where they were measuring uh, like all kinds of analytics, ball speed, uh, top spin, slice, uh, all this kind of stuff, wind speed, everything. Really? And then it would keep all the stats. Like the guy has this many second serves. It's, you know, you win when, when he misses his first serve, a good returner wins whatever, 87% of the points. Sure. So it's really important to get the first serve in. Anyway, so, so uh, that, that has been – and now he's into these shoes. My daughter got me some of these shoes. They're actually very comfortable. They give you a lot of support. So I wish Roger the best, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this thing can can do what Nike did, what, in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s? True. Um, that, that, that turned into a, a huge, huge uh, true market leader, as I recall. Um, all right. Let's, are, are, is that, is that, are you done uh, there, Connor? Yeah, that's okay. all I got. All right. Well, I pre well, that was a lot. I appreciate it. All right, Don. Let's kind of review the markets where we stand uh, right now currently and your thoughts going forward. Sure. So uh, the market will always best to separate you from your capital before it goes on a run higher. And that shakeout happened last Wednesday and Thursday on the 18th and the 19th. If we go to a, a 60 minute chart here. Uh, you can see we had a breakout above this 38.80 level, pulled back, tested it, and it held, and then we went on three nice up days. So just about the time that everybody was celebrating, we broke out from this uh, recent range, 
uh, we had a big rug pull last Wednesday and then followed it up with a gap down on Thursday, but we held above that key 38.80 level. Uh, and I've been hitting on this in the videos. Uh, the next day, in the next two days actually, we had two extremely strong runs up, making new highs above where we even started that pullback from the first place. Uh, and this, again, served to get people involved in the market, give them a lot more confidence. And then of course, right at, we had another attempt to separate people from their money when on the 25th, which was Wednesday, we gapped down between 1.1 and 1.7% on the indexes and everybody was ready to go, okay, here it is, another rug pull, we're going lower, typical bear market, suck everybody in uh, at the highs and we're gonna end up uh, getting out. But it held this 39.50 level, so we're making higher lows now. And then today and yesterday, we made higher highs. This is the definition of an uptrend, higher highs and higher lows. These two pullbacks were fairly tough to sit through, uh, but, after that gap down, we bottomed within the first hour and then had a very nice run. Uh, and this was uh, on the 25th, so this would have been on Wednesday. Uh, nice close, didn't quite close positive, but all the way back near the highs and it was a 1.8% move off the lows. Next day, gap up. Well, it's not that easy. We're not just not gonna fly. So we had a 1% pullback within the first hour, but where did we stop? 40.20. That is in the range that we saw of the prior day's high, the day before that's range, and the day before that's range. So again, we're making higher lows on the pullbacks. By the end of the day, we made a higher high. Now today, again, we made a higher high. Oh, we just had a fairly significant pullback uh, of about, I don't know, 0.75%, but where did we stop? This time we stopped at 40.50. What was 40.50? Well, that was the high of the prior day, and it's above, if you go back four days, we didn't get into that range either. So another instance of, of us making continual higher lows on these pullbacks, uh, we already made a higher high this morning, not sure we're gonna make one again today, but the point is this is the best action we've seen in over a year in the market. Uh, not only are we seeing leading stocks working, uh, they're breaking out, some of them are going higher, some of them are going on very strong runs, uh, but we're also seeing the indexes being supported and any attempts to sell the market off are being bought up by the bulls. We, and this coincides with us getting above that big black scary line, the 200 day moving average, where we failed three times, actually a fourth time, got back above it, tested it, but we held it on the 25th, which was that big, uh, that most recent pullback where we gapped down. Uh, and then made highs off of that. So definition of an uptrend, higher highs and higher lows, that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, we're continuing to put money to work. We're making gains, we're making headway. Uh, next area to watch is this 4,100 area, which was the highs uh, that we made twice in December uh, and we're reapproaching it again. So uh, we've also uh, not, we, we're not, uh, the coast isn't all clear. Next week we have earnings from a bunch of the big techs, Amazon, uh, Apple, Google, and we've also got uh, the Fed with their latest interest rate decision on Wednesday of next week. Uh, the Fed fund futures are pricing in that we have uh, a 99% that we're, 
chance that we're going to see a 25 basis point hike in the rates. Uh, and then we'll see what the Fed says about their outlook going forward. That's really going to be the key. Uh, the market seems to think that the Fed has to be finished raising pretty quickly uh, if they don't want uh, the market to, or the, the economy to go into a recession. Uh, but some of the economic data that's coming out is pointing more toward a softer landing than a hard landing. Uh, so maybe they're doing their job. And uh, as always, we're going to obey what the price and volume tell us. But what it's been telling us over the last three weeks is that any attempts by the bears to get control have been thwarted by the bulls. We're making higher highs and higher lows. That's the definition of an uptrend, and we stick with that trend until we get uh, news to the contrary by price and volume, not by opinion, not by economic data, not by what somebody says, but by the actual price and data on the indexes and the individual stocks. So uh, we put more money to work this morning, and uh, there are some sectors that are standing out. There are some leading stocks that are very clearly standing out, and that's where our focus is. If you want to find out what some of those are, you can just watch the uh, big show tonight. Don will be doing the big show. Big show. Uh, Friday night. He kind of does a weekly recap as well as the moves we make. And folks, every night the markets are open. We do a short market video. I think we're the most transparent of any advisor that I'm aware of. I mean, we actually tell you what most of the stuff we're doing. Right. And we also free. tell you what the markets are doing. But I love Don's comment. That is the very definition of an uptrend. Mm. Higher lows and higher highs. By the way, that's not what I would have expected. And I had a lot, you heard a lot of these pundits, a lot of these economists saying, now I do think that the bonds are, are, are because of the interest changes in the Fed, I think the bonds are setting up for a, a, a potential rally, a big, you know, longer term. Like if you're an asset allocator, which we're not, but if you're going to do that kind of pie chart asset and you're going to overweight in certain areas, bonds would be a good way to go. But here's what I would tell you. I had lots of clients and listeners and stock nerds thinking that technology was over and it was dead and it wouldn't be around for a while and that dividend stocks and the big blue chips and, and utilities were going to be the place to go. Yeah. Even professionals from the guys in the industry are telling you to shut. Now, next week, they may be vindicated. Who knows? But right now, out of the gate this year, Technology and some of the growthy areas have been some of the best performing. And actually, some of the uh, um, oh, uh, uh, utility stocks and the, quote, conservative, safer stock, the value stocks are actually doing poorly. And I wouldn't have, I mean, I, I agreed with everybody that called me. That I said, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, it's going to probably be a while before tech recovers, but who knows? I, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. The market doesn't care, and it's going to do what it's going to do. Yeah. So you've got to, that's why we follow this uh, charts. Like Don always says, price is truth. Yes. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. They can go up to the right-hand corner. There's a subscribe button. Just put in their name and email address. We won't email them. We won't bug them. It's up to them to reach out to us. To if they want a stock they want to discuss or a topic for the mailbag, or they just want a complimentary portfolio review, we're happy to do that. No pressure. Um, also, next to that, there's a there's a contact us button. That's if you want a portfolio review or whatever. The subscribe button is simply to subscribe. So this this podcast will go into your inbox in the Saturday morning 
when it goes out. Now, if you go to our YouTube channel, you go to YouTube and just search for Revere Asset, it'll come up. You can hit the subscribe button, and this will go to your inbox this afternoon, probably in an hour or two. Mid, right yeah, now, midday it's right, Fridays. Right yeah. now, it's 10.43 uh, Central Time. So it may be out there by noon if you want it even earlier. And then we also do a daily market uh, insight video, tomorrow's insights, that, that kind of gives you what the probabilities are looking like heading into tomorrow. Nothing's guaranteed, but it's probabilities. And we do that every night. So you can get all that. Uh, one last thing, uh, Don, I know that you did a video on how to handle gap up stocks. And that's on the YouTube way. He did this a couple of years ago. But did you also do one on IPOs or not? No. Okay. Okay. So no. the the reason the reason I bring that up is because uh, one of the guys was talking about IPOs and coming IPOs coming due. Folks, most IPOs drop once they go public. Only the hot issues, the oversubscribed issues, and even those will pop for a day or two because they're being supported by the underwriters, and then most of them will fall significantly and form a deep bowl, a big deep bowl. And then when they're coming up the right side of the bowl is really when you want to participate in the IPOs, waiting to let it settle out. Playing the IPOs at the get-go is very, very risky and very dangerous. You may get lucky once, but it's, it's like a hot potato, okay? Folks, listen, have a fun and safe weekend. If you've got any questions or comments, you can email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, Ted, Michael, or Connor at revereasset.com, and you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. We'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the market, it's how much you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.